Thank you for listening to Knocking Doors Down, brought to you by KDD Media Company. I, I often wonder how my dad would have handled that. Sure. I mean, he was a World War II veteran, mm-hmm. you know, kind of a tough guy sure. and this and that, but he loved me to death and he loved, you know, his son going to the games and winning and so proud of my accomplishments and on and on and on. Um, and at first I thought, well, I wonder how dad would react to this. Inside the 5150 Studios, this is Knocking Doors Down. I'm your host, Jason Lachance, with a history of alcoholism, a background in some childhood trauma, divorce, and some other adversities. Of course, my co-host, Mikey Naraki. How are we good, sir? Hi, everyone. And of course, Mikey has uh, faced some substance abuse issues as well, but... Just like all the folks we talk to here on the podcast, we take all of the adversities that we've faced, we turn them into our advantage, and our guest, Caitlyn Jenner, is no different. Caitlyn Jenner. Malibu. <laughs> she was just so lovely, uh, welcoming us to her home. Uh, we sit down and have just a wonderful conversation, and she really talks about what it's like, especially to grow up when she did, and knowing that uh, there was something different, and even how uh, athleticism Although it gave her an identity, it was also a mask. Mm -hmm. And so it's just, it's really insightful. Uh, You hear a lot of love about all of her children, all 10 of them. They're doing all right though, right? Her kids, they're doing okay They did okay. (laughs) They did okay. They did all right. We make a pretty good joke about that in there. So, uh, you know, uh, Caitlin does talk, of course, about the kids, about her other experiences, things that she's uh, into now, and just really an inspirational individual for living life. And I think her pet peeve, that we get to near the end of the interview is something that everybody needs to hear and really think about because uh, after you hear her story, you see that there was nothing but hard work put into where she's gotten in life. Mm -hmm. All right, Mikey, anything else you want to add? Let's get into it. All right, here's Caitlyn Jenner for you guys. Miss Caitlyn Jenner, thanks for welcoming us in your home. Well, thank you. Can I start this off? Yes, sure. Okay, let's, what are we trying to accomplish with this? Well, we want to show that, uh, you, you know, you've had many uh, different challenges in life, as, as all people do, everything from your athletic career. I'm a big fan of motorsports. That's actually how I first got to know you. Gotcha. Um, I've, Laguna Seca was there a lot as a kid and stuff oh, like yes. that. Oh, so, yes. I remember yeah. running there. Yeah, it's beautiful. And it's then, of course, place. you know, having a, a family that was out in the forefront, what that was like. And then, you know, when you knew that you were going to... Uh, make your transition. What was that like in, you know, in a public eye? And so, yeah, you yeah. Kinda, you know, kind of was want- not actually, <clears throat> when I looked at your bios, I'm thinking these two guys got more issues than I have. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> no argument I'm there. Just, I have no drug issues, no nothing. <laughs> I've been busted a time yeah, or no two sexual for problems. No, this, that I just, Change genders. That's yeah. all. I yeah. had to deal with that. You but know, people don't want to hear from us. People want to hear from you. So, oh, okay. <laughs> they've already heard your story. Uh, oh, they know my story. Oh They're my just God. like Mikey. Shut up, dude. Let's, yeah, let's hear shut somebody up. else. All right. All right. So, where do we start? You were drinking yourself. Um, for me, the most interesting is just I would like to know what athletics uh, athletics meant to you, like really when you were Ooh. growing up, and why it was so important. Well. Because I, I everybody, so everybody important. growing up, all young kids have things they have to deal with stuff. I mm-hmm. call it stuff. Um, I was uh, a dyslexic kid. Mm-hmm. Perceptually, I just had a hard time getting words up off a piece of paper. The bigger issue with that is um, your confidence in yourself. Uh, bigger than the reading problem 
is you don't feel smart. Everybody else is moving faster. You're struggling getting these words out. You don't want really anybody to know, so mm-hmm. you're kind of hiding. I had identity issues, which back in the 50s and 60s when I was growing up, there wasn't even a name for it. So sure. you just keep your mouth shut and move on. But um, And then all of a sudden in uh, fifth grade, uh, we had uh, in gym class, we had a running race. And it was around a bunch of chairs or a bunch of cones that were set up in the parking lot. And you started at one place and you, uh, the coach says, I'm going to go one at a time. I'm going to time every kid in school. So, of course, my turn came up. I've been, boy, okay, I'm ready to go. Anyway, I had the fastest time in the whole school. And it was like the first time I ever accomplished anything in sports or in, in school was running around a bunch of chairs. I was better than everybody else in the whole school. And this is, this is cool. Kids need at that age, I'm in fifth grade, you need a pat on the back. Mm-hmm. You know, you need to know you can do something better than the next kid. And I wasn't getting that in the classroom. Sure. And so that was kind of the beginning of my journey. I was really intrigued by it. Um, go on the football field, take a guy, good student, good reader, clean his clock. Yeah. <laughs> Boom. Mm-hmm. That feels good. Yeah, right. Yes, that, that's a good feeling. You got a better grade than me, but I'll knock your ass yeah, out. Yeah, <laughs> that's exactly it. You got it. You got it. So that's kind of how it started. I never in a million years ever thought I would take it as far as I did take it. Yeah. But after it was all over with, you know, the games are over with, this and that, and years go by, You kind of look back on your life and you're trying to figure out, because I look at that lifestyle that I was living at that time. I was living on $10,000 a year, driving a 63 VW bug I paid $175 for, and uh, living in this little dinky apartment and, um, you know, $145 a month apartment and, you know, training six to eight hours a day. You know, that's what I did. I trained and lived on nothing. And I look at that today, and I look at the dedication and how much time and energy I put in. I go, why did I do that? And I have to look back, and you go back even farther. I look back and say, you know what? If I had not had those issues, being dyslexic and gender dysphoric and these things, confusing things in my head, I wouldn't have needed sports. Mm-hmm. Let's say like I was just an average kid getting average grades and kind of fitting in with everything. Yeah. When sports came around, I really wouldn't have needed it. Yeah. But for me, I needed it. And it set up a pattern that really led me all the way through the games. And it's, it's interesting because um, my biggest asset uh, athletically was not my physical skills. I was okay physically, yeah. you know, I could get the job done physically, but my mental skills, I was just mentally so strong that when I needed a performance, I would come up with that performance. I would do all the work that it took necessary to be there. Yeah, I was, I look at an athlete in two ways, the athletic body, the athletic mind, mm-hmm, sure. okay? You know, um, and you can just about weigh every athlete there. Uh, you take Larry Bird. All right. Okay, not the greatest moves, not the highest jumping guy in the NBA, but with two seconds left on the clock, you threw that ball to Larry Bird. You give it to him. And Larry's right. going to get the job done. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, whatever it takes, that's that athletic mind. You know, even Magic Johnson the same way. Uh, and you've seen a million athletes come in with just phenomenal talent, yeah. but they never make it. Mm-hmm. You know, they don't have the head for it. They don't know how to do it. Every once in a while, that rare combination comes about. 
of great athletic mind combined with a great athletic skills. And that's a Michael Jordan in his prime. That's a Tiger Woods for that first 10 years he was, you know, playing golf. He was just dominant. He had everybody. His head was right there. And when I say an athletic mind, it's not just about competition. It's about going out and doing the work when yeah. nobody's watching. I immediately I was, thought Michael Jordan when uh, you said that. I was yeah. saying, I was Michael saying, Jordan worked his butt off mm-hmm. every year. Yeah. Even though he had five or six NBA championships, every year he worked harder and harder yeah. and harder. Right. You know? And when no one's watching, and that's the athletic mind, sure. pushing yourself. Sure. You know? And Tiger was the same way. I was thinking Lewis Hamilton because I'm a big Formula One guy. Oh, I'm a big Formula yeah. One. Yeah, Lewis so won this weekend. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I can't believe he... He didn't qualify Seven. very well, but he... Uh, he killed yeah. him in the rain. See, I, was I know. Telling you. Yeah, he did right. kill him in the rain. I ran into him last year. Really? And yeah, awesome. yeah. Anyways, I'm sorry. You're, yeah, but uh, yeah, no, I, I agree. I think Lewis Hamilton's a great example. Obviously, he's got a great team. Yeah. It doesn't hurt. And racing, you can't win without a really good car. Okay? Yeah. <laughs> I don't care how good you are if you don't have the equipment. But that's part of him putting himself in that position True. to be with that team and to do what he has to do with that team, to stay there, to have every guy that's, you know, they have like a thousand, you know, people working on his car. Yeah, yeah. It's insane. I mean, working on his car, he has to have all those people really like him, you know, (laughs) and um, really work for him. Yeah. And that's his attitude, the way he treats people and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, it's part of it. If you're a jerk, you're going to say, well, you know, yeah. eh, it's, it's, it's hey, the lug didn't get that title. Oh, well, yeah, I know. I know. <laughs> I missed but, it. What do you want from me? <laughs> yeah. And so, um, yeah, anyway, so I'm kind of thankful for all those things that I had yeah. to go through because it kind of got me to the place um, that changed my life. When, sure. You know, you win the games. Yeah, absolutely. And what was it like in the actual, I've heard athletes say because you're kind of held up at the Olympic Village that you're, you're not doing as much of the fun and stuff going on. What was your, your Olympic experience like for you? Um, well, when you look back on it, you say, oh, it was fun. But when you're going through it, it's not fun. It's, yeah. it's a job. Yeah. Um, I went to two Olympics um, in 1972 in Munich. And uh, I wasn't even ranked in the top 10 in the U.S. going into the trials and came out of nowhere and snuck into third place. Changed my life forever. So I got to go to the games in Munich. And I was only 22. I'd only run the decathlon for two years. Um, Way ahead. I never expected to be there. It was like overwhelming. Mm -hmm. You know, it's just like the countries, the history, the pageantry, the opening ceremonies. It's just ridiculous. Mm -hmm. You want a good opening ceremonies? (laughs) story yes Yes. so i'm standing there in 1972 you know still wet behind the ears you know i'm just i have no i i don't think i what am i doing here and we had these white outfits on and the pageantry i mean the country's coming in and finally we the u.s team comes in we're all dressed in white and um we stand in our little place and we're watching the ceremony and the lighting of the, just as they light the torch. Have you ever seen they they let the the doves of freedom out? Right. Okay. Yeah. They're not doves. They're pigeons. Okay. <laughs> and I'm standing there, and they had these. You heard it here I first. <laughs> at, I saw at the far end, not too far, maybe thirty or forty yards away. They had this long, about six foot high box about the length of the infield 
all the way down at that end. I didn't even know what it was. And then all of a sudden, wham, somebody pulls all of the stuff off. And these pigeons <laughs> by the hundreds come out. And they had been cooped up there for a while. And all of a sudden, you hear bang, bang, boom, boom, boom. Guys next to I didn't get hit. I was lucky. I, got, I missed it. It went right by me. The guy beside me got pigeon stuff all over the white outfit. Because you got those reflexes. And I'm thinking, <laughs> this is the Olympic movement? You know, this is what it's all about? Yeah, I always remember that from 72. But going to the Olympics in 1972, um, I, and I stood around, I stayed after I got 10th, which I was very happy with. I was happy to be, be there. Uh, got 10th, and um, uh, I stood around and watched the uh, victory ceremony for Nikolai Avilov. Mm -hmm. I'd never seen a gold medal ceremony happening right in front of me. You know, I'd seen it on TV a lot, but never like right there. Mm -hmm. you know, 30 yards away is the ceremony. And this guy from the Soviet Union, Nikolai Avilov, won, broke the world record that day. And I'm in kind of awe of what he just did and really watched the ceremony. And that's when everything changed. I said, you know, I watched it. I was so inspired. And I basically thought to myself, you know what? I'm a kid. I'm only 22 years old. Um, you know, I never expect to get this far. What if I take the next four years of my life and every minute of every day I test myself just to see how good I could become at something, mm. you know? And because you know what? Looking at Avilov standard art. That's what I want out of life right there. And uh, I said, I'm going to basically give up everything in my life for the next four years and then move on after the next. If I don't do it in the next four years, sure. I'm not going to stay around. Yeah. You know, there's other things in life besides, you know, running the decathlon. Plus, I, was, I can't make any money at it. So um, I really made the decision right there that I was going to do that. And I was so pumped up that night after running in the decathlon for two days but that night i'm laying there and and i'm just thinking i i know where i'm going uh i don't know if i'm going to get there but i made a decision to give it everything i got and i'm laying there and my heart's pounding the adrenal glands are like midnight and uh i i said all of a sudden in my head i get this ticking sound and it was a uh, the clock ticking and that's when it started i got up out of bed midnight Went for a run through the streets of Munich, Germany, training for the games four years from now. That's awesome. And that was just pretty much the obsession from that point on. Um, yeah, I trained every day, uh, moved to San Jose, so I, I was living in Iowa at the time, um, and did everything I could, gave up everything um, to see how good I could become at something. Yeah. And I got pretty good. You got yeah. pretty pretty damn good. I'll yeah, say so. I got yeah. I, I got pretty good. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and then walked away. Was that uh, hard? And I knew. I that was going to say, how did that hard? Feel? No, because you said the I, four I, years prior said that this is the one more time I'm going to go for it, and what I get is what I get. I no, I had not lost a meet in three years. I was ranked number one for the last three years: seventy four, seventy five, seventy six. Uh, broke the world record three times in that period. Uh, nobody had beaten me. Right. I was like, I better win. <laughs> <laughs> and um, yeah, there was just nobody out there. I, I was prepared. I just knew I was like ready. And I ran the first event, the 100 meters. And I ran the best 100 meters of my life at 9 o'clock in the morning. Um, and I just basically... <laughs> 
said to myself, I didn't say it to anybody else because I didn't want to get him upset, but it's over with, guys. Yeah. You know, it's done. Well, I still got nine events to go, 20, 20 hours of competition, nine events to go. And if my 100 meters is on like that, you guys just don't have a chance. <laughs> you know? <laughs> you guys and, are screwed, yeah. man. And, uh, and, and ran the best meet of my life. Mm, I yeah. If I added up uh, my best score in all 10 events going in, which I did, um, I would score 8,678 points if I did perfect in every all 10 events. I scored 8,634 points. Holy shit. Wow. So I was about as close to perfect as I could possibly get. And um, yeah. And after it was over with, um, the ceremony, the whole thing, I just said to myself, you know what? And I knew I was walking away and I would never, ever, ever do this again. Yeah. Um, I thought, how lucky I am. Huh. Because how many athletes can be in their sport for years and be totally satisfied? You climbed every mountain. Yeah. You conquered every mountain, you know? Not too many athletes can say that. They all say, oh, I missed this or I wanted right. this over here. There was another record I wanted to get and this and that. There was nothing left. And so it did make it easier walking away, accomplishing everything, climbed every mountain. Mm -hmm. I remember the first time I broke the world record, I was like <laughs> ecstatic. I couldn't believe it. Jesus, you just broke the world record. <laughs> Second time I broke it, I go... Had a good meet, you know. It was kind of like it. I've already done, I've already climbed that mountain, right. you know. And I knew there was no motivation to continue on, and and I knew I was going to quit anyway. I, I knew that for the finality of it all was actually very good because um, I could train every day knowing that someday I'm not going to be doing this, right. and I could give up a lot, right? You know. But then it was over. Did that idea that the, you knew there was a. The a finale to it coming allow you to be all in every day? Yeah, absolutely. It was a great motivating factor. Sure. Every day I got up and I said, this is the last day. When this one's gone, I don't, I can't get it back. Yeah. So I'm going to get everything out of this day I possibly can. And so, um, uh, yeah, had a big, the finality of yeah. it all. Yeah. Okay. And it's a year away. It's, you know, two years away. It's a six months away. It's three months away. You're counting it down and you're being really smart with your training. And doing everything you can. So, yeah, I mean, if I would have had the attitude of, well, if I don't win it this time, <laughs> I'll probably still be around in four years. Right. No, that was not the attitude. Right. Uh, that was it. That's just kind of the go-getter nature that you just have to have with life in general, though, right? I know that's, that's the thing when, you know, we me in recovery and speaking with lots of people, that that's kind of a, addicts, we fuck that mentality up real well. And yeah. so I think when coming out of it, we kind of have to do that. There's, you know, for me nowadays, I get frustrated or upset with my kids didn't pick up their room or whatever it is. And it's just, no, gratitude. Grat <laughs> <laughs> my, my son, Caitlin, my son. Fatherly is, love. Yes, my, yes. I, I raised 10 kids. Beat them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, beat them. Uh, no, no. Uh, yes, uh, uh, we're not going there. <laughs> uh, yeah, no. Um, but I, what my point is, is, is with success and successful people, you kind of have to have that mindset of that every day is, is a maximum day. It's a maximum effort. I said after it was all over, 
I thought, and I've had times like this. Boy, have I had times like this. I always thought, after it was all over with, and even when I was training, making no money, training my butt off, but every day I woke up excited about the day. I couldn't wait for the day to start. And I thought, you know what, I always want to do that. I always want to have something in my life I'm striving for. So when I wake up in the morning, I'm excited about the day. And today things are different. You Mm -hmm. know, there's different things to get excited about. But I I get up early. I'm up by 5 in the morning. I'm going. I get up before everybody else. I mean, the old days it was carpooling kids to school (laughs) and helping them out and doing what I can to. But today was probably the same because you were probably ecstatic to do the interview with us, though, right? So you were excited for that. I couldn't sleep last night. (laughs) Or was it the dog? (laughs) The dog, I think, was leaning on my leg. Yeah, yeah, the dog sleeps with us. Your dog's awesome. But anyway, um, yeah, I mean, everybody has to deal with their stuff. Yeah. Okay, everybody's got stuff. Okay, I had stuff. I remember the next morning after the games, mm-hmm. uh, I went into the bathroom, and the medal was sitting on the counter in the bathroom, not a stitch of clothes on, full length mirror. I look in the mirror, and I look at the medal, and I go, "Oh fuck! What did I just do?" Did I build this character up so big that I'm stuck with him for the rest of my life? I had all these other issues. There was more to me than just running. And I had identity issues and this and that. And honestly, I kind of got scared because it's almost like I lost my little shield, my little beard that I could hide behind. Sure. And... But I built this character up so big, you know, am I stuck with him? It's not really me, but am I stuck with him now? And it really kind of bothered me for a while. Fortunately, you know, within a week, I actually had a job. (laughs) (laughs) Somebody offered me a job. This is wonderful. Uh, Yeah, ABC offered me a job. um, And I thought, okay, well, now the athletic career is behind me. Now I'm, you know. Uh, Wheaties offered a deal to do the commercials for them, and you're mm-hmm. actually making a living, yeah. pretty yeah. good living. And um, I thought, okay, well, I'll just forget about all my identity stuff and just concentrate on trying to build a career here. Mm-hmm. So I worked extraordinarily hard, gave a lot of speeches, you know, worked real hard, and, and uh, tried to learn the business. Yeah. You know, yeah. I was you cur- want my Howard Cosell story? Oh, God, yeah. Howard Cosell. Give me Howard Cosell. <laughs> Speaking of sports. I grew, yeah. I grew up with like Saturday Night Live, so I did all the yeah. voice. Yeah, okay, you had it oh, all God. down. Yeah. So, a good Howard Cosell story. So, at the games, um, my uh, uh, when I competed on the second to last day, the final day was the finals in boxing in 1976. That year, we had like, the best boxers, you know, Sugar Ray Leonard, yeah. Spinks, all these guys, you know, we're just cleaning up. We don't do that anymore. But in 76 was kind of the last great year of boxing, and Howard's doing commentary. Well, obviously, it's the day after the games, and I'm getting a lot of press. And Howard makes a comment during one of the boxing matches. He goes, you know, 
These kids, they're from the ghetto. They've got no Hollywood contracts to go to. Taking a little shot over my bow, you know, when I heard that. Oh, and then that night there was an ABC rap party. I went and he barely said hi as he went by. Cut to three months later, I signed a deal with ABC. (laughs) My first show I ever did was right down the street here, Pepperdine University, Battle of the Network Stars, Network oh, One, God. Pepperdine <laughs> University, working with Howard Cosell. Oh, and this is my first job. And I've never even held a microphone. Yeah. You know, I've been interviewed by people, sure. but I never held a microphone or never asked a question. Somebody else does that, you know. And I know nothing about television. So, and the one thing you want is Howard on your side. Oh, I'm sure in those yeah. days, yeah. So, I get there the first day, you know, big TV trucks, wires going everywhere, everybody's speaking a language I don't even know. And Howard's there, he said hi. And then I always called him Mr. Cosell. Uh, I said, Mr. Cosell, I said, can I just talk to you for a second? And he kind of looks at me, all right, kid. So we go off on the side. I said, Mr. Cosell, I said, this is my first job. I've never done this before. And I said, but I signed a couple of year deal. I'd like to learn this business. And you know what? There's nobody better to learn it from than you. I said, you're the true superstar in this industry. I said, if you don't mind, if I follow you around today, I'd like to watch what you do and how you do it. And, um, and if I have any questions, I'd like to be able to, you know, to ask you. And I said, if you have any criticism or you want to give advice, I'm all ears because I I couldn't learn it from a better person. And he looks at me and opens up his arms, gives me a hug, and says, kid, stick with me. That's awesome. Oh, that's awesome. And so he actually became my mentor. I mean... um, during that first broadcast, uh, Don Olmeyer was in the truck, and he would say, Omar, Jenner's going to do this one. I got them all ready. You know, <laughs> yeah, Jenner's yeah. going to do this one. And then, and he would actually see a show I did, you know, a year later, and call me up and, and tech, you know, make his, uh, uh, you know, his suggestions on all of the sure. things that I did. And, kid, you did a good job with that interview. That was good and this and that. So he became, we became like best buddies. That's awesome. That's awesome. Even when yeah. he came in out of his book and just destroyed everybody else. Remember <laughs> that book he had near the end? Yeah. Uh, and just got a lot of flack for it. Never said one bad thing Not about you, me. Not you, though. Yeah. Oh, you good. <laughs> I was his kid. Yeah. Uh, anyway, I thought you would like a good Howard oh, Cosell story. No, because yeah. I love. I've always just loved broadcasting. I'm, I, I'm dyslexic as well, and so was right. very, very, very shy kid. But when I found like performance and that I could be goofy and make people laugh, then that's how I fit in. And I did sports too. I was pretty, pretty decent basketball player in track as yeah. well. But um, what'd you run in track? Uh, long jump and high jump. Really? Yeah. What did you do? I did water polo. I did water polo and I skateboarded for 15 years. That was my thing. <laughs> back to jason back to, yeah he's not <laughs> caitlin uh, yeah he's really you and I are talking. 
Is that where he got the, uh, all, the all the artwork? That's where uh, all the artwork is it, came is it from. Left you over know. from his skateboard days. There's a lot of uh, skateboard memories on my arms, neck, really? hands. Did you get pretty good? Did you compete? I I did compete. I was sponsored by a shop in Turlock. I did a couple competitions. Never got first. Got fourth third couple seconds but never first what was it about skateboarding that attracted you it's the only thing that i've ever had a passion for and the thing is what i loved about skateboarding is it it gave me the rush like i love football i love basketball i love baseball i love all sports but did you play them i did I did. I wasn't that good in them, and I didn't hit puberty till about 17 and a half. So basketball even, was out. We would even argue he still hasn't hit puberty, you know? He's a young kid. He's a young kid. Uh, basketball was not out. Not married, no kids. Yeah. We don't know. Yeah. Well, we true. don't know. We don't. None that well, you know of. None that I know of. I, did. Oh, I lived in Hollywood for a little bit, so there might be. But yeah. yeah, I did compete in skateboarding. I did. But it was just, it was my getaway. It was whatever you had going on in your head, skateboarding, it was just all gone. So that's why it was the passion that i've had and yeah, yeah that was my deal yeah that no I, deal. that's again it's like finding something in your life and i i don't care what it is that you know you're excited about absolutely yeah. That's you know? what I was excited to do every morning i yeah. could not wake up or i could not wait to wake up and go skate do you have that in your life today uh this is a positive podcast i absolutely do i'm high on life no. <laughs> <I> mean, <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> We're all about honesty too. I love this job. I love doing what we do here. Yeah. Um, you know, COVID's kind of slowed some of it, a lot of it. Up. Oh, I know. What can, can you do right now? It, it just went to zero. I was in London actually when the quarantine was coming down, and uh, had to actually leave two days earlier from work mm. in London to get home, so I didn't get stuck over there. Right. Yeah. And uh, yeah, and it's been kind of horrible since then. Yeah. Sophia's got a company that she was supposed to start April 1st uh, in the sunscreen world, Lumisol. Mm -hmm. And so she had everything set up for a big launch. She was the official sunscreen of Coachella. She had all these things going on. Nice. And two weeks before she launched, everything shut down. I mean, it was like Shit. devastated. Fortunately, Lumisol is still alive and it's going. She's done a great job um, in keeping the company going. Yes. And you, know, you talk about passion for life. I mean, try starting a company in the middle of a pandemic. Yeah. You know? yeah. And, yeah. But she's done a great job. You know, she incredible. really has done. Yeah, She that's, won't let it die. That's Well, that's yeah. what you got to do. That's what you got to do. I know when this thing first started, I was doing it by myself, Caitlin. And then luckily when Mikey came on, because I was about ready to bash myself over the head. And I was at that just that breaking point at the end of each day. It's like, I love doing this. I know that it's going to get big. And then this guy, when he came on, goes, don't worry. We're going to get there. We're going to talk to we're gonna yeah. get some well, that's names good. You know, get it's, going. You could. You kind of play off each other. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So this but, this. Go ahead. Was this considered a podcast? Yeah. Podcast, yeah. yeah, we're on all podcast platforms. So. I got you. Um, it's not easy. Is it? Was it inspired because you were stuck in in quarantine? Well, see, that's what I, I did. was. I was stuck. Carlos had the idea for a while. Yeah, the, yeah, but you didn't act on it no, until no, you no. were in quarantine. Well, the Correct. way that it happened. So I was working in radio. I was, our company had gotten bought for like the third time, and it was a good company, but you know, two kids. 
but um no i was just i wasn't making a good living i'm 42 and it's like god i want to do something i feel more inspired about i did radio for 20 years you know i did the fun rock and roll what did you do rock, rock and roll stuff uh i programmed rock country uh hip-hop uh news not talk. you weren't on the mic you were, yeah i was on or, air too so by, by the end of my career i was an operations manager and i programmed four of our six stations i got you so yeah, and then uh, Carlos, of course, he, he, I bumped into him at uh, Target or something. His wife had hurt his back, so he was out doing the shop and picking up the, the slack there. And I was like, I got this thing. You're always talking about these podcasts you do. I was doing one that was only about Motley Crue and then one that was like a morning show just for fun, just because just right. I love doing it. Calls me three hours later. Okay, I'm writing my autobiography. I'm telling my story about my addiction, and I want to start a podcast. And being that you come from a similar background of addiction – you're going to host it, figure it out. Tell me what you need to build a studio, get out and how it's going to go. And I was like, Oh, Oh shit. All those things, you know, that Shit's be careful what real. you ask for. Yeah. Yeah. It, it happened like that. You yeah, know, and I think it's good. So. No, I think the concept behind what you're doing is very good. Yeah. Thank Everybody's you. got challenges and, and, and motivation was, is, is extraordinarily important in yeah. people's lives. We'll have more with Caitlyn Jenner. Of course, if you're listening, don't forget to click the link in the podcast description to buy your copy of Knocking Doors Down, the autobiography by Carlos Vieira. It's about taking his 13 years of cocaine addiction, over 14 years sober, and doing something more purposeful with your life. If you're looking for a story of inspiration, then get yourself a copy of Knocking Doors Down right now by going to either kddmediacompany.com or click the link in the podcast description right now. Here's more with Caitlyn Jenner. Um, you know, I've been in the motivational speaking business, I hate to say, for like 50 years. Mm -hmm. I started right after the 72 Olympic Games, right, right. you know, and um, uh, did it for years and years and years. And uh, always enjoyed it. I don't like to travel because everything was, you know, big sales forces, this and that. You know, you're traveling all over yeah. the U.S. I mean, the travel kind of sucked at the time. Um, but the presentations were fun. You know, it's fun to get up there and tell your story. Yeah. And the things that went on behind it and make a storyline, a beginning, middle and end. And, you know, a reason for doing all of this. And um, I really enjoyed it. And And the same thing happened to me when the, I've always enjoyed working. I've always worked. I've always mm -hmm. had something to do. And when this whole quarantine came down, I'm sitting in this house day after day. Phone's not ringing. Um, you know, the world's kind of stopped. Yeah. And I'm, you know, just how many golf games can you play? <laughs> you know, I got a plane. I'd fly that. Yeah. It's good social distance. I was going to ask you about that if you still had your RC helicopters and planes and stuff. Uh, they were down in the garage, but I haven't used them in a long time, and I won't touch them until I get back on the computer. <laughs> but, um, uh, yeah, no, I got a like a real plane. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that I fly. Um, and, you know, doing that, but that was about it, you know. And yeah. I really had no place to go, you know, so I would do a lot of what we call tower and roots, IFR flights, and, you know, just to practice to keep, yeah. you know, and the plane's got to fly it doesn't do well sitting. So, um, you know, that was it. And, and then I was starting to watch a lot of YouTube and there's a lot of aviation stuff on YouTube. So I first thought, you know what? Why don't I start shooting aviation stuff? You know, yeah. first of all, nobody knows I even fly, let alone doing that. And I thought, well, that sounds like fun. And then I started thinking, um, maybe I could do like 
Jerry uh, Seinfeld does Cars and Coffee. Yeah. You know, celebrity Cars and Coffee cars or whatever and, it is. Yeah, yeah. Cars getting coffee. Comedians yeah, and Cars yeah, getting yeah. coffee. Comedians yeah. just getting coffee in a car or something. I don't know what yeah. it is. And I thought maybe I could do the same thing in an airplane. Yeah. You know, take people to lunch somewhere. You know, select friends not? and this and that. And I thought yeah. that would be a lot of fun. Talked to a production company about it and they said insurance would kill you. And I go, oh, yeah, I <laughs> yeah. can imagine. Okay. Yeah. <clears throat> So I kind of put that back, but I didn't give up the idea of, you know, starting my own YouTube channel. And um, anyway, I slowly just started putting together. I bought a bunch of GoPro cameras. Yeah, I yeah. mounted them on the plane. I'm mm -hmm. doing all kinds of stuff. I went to Utah last week and uh, met with this guy who's like the number one YouTuber in aviation. And he built some of the most extraordinary planes um, and just started putting content together. That's and at awesome. first I thought, my life's pretty boring. What's it going to work? I mean, honestly, the one that worked the other day was I got in the backyard. I got this gopher problem. So I thought, why don't I do a YouTube video on how to catch a gopher? How do you catch a gopher? Okay. I would think it would be bunnies. I saw about 30 of them coming up here. Well, yes. Or jackrabbits. Yes. Well, unfortunately, yes. So I put it on. YouTube, and I said, I got a problem, you know, turn it into my YouTube channel. And I said, make a comment. What's the best way? I don't really want to like gas them out sure, or something. Sure. I want to catch them and take them to the other side yeah. of the mountain and let them go and do their thing. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I got all these suggestions of all these different things to do. One even said, uh, call Bill Murray. <laughs> yeah, I said, you know what? That's not a bad idea. Yeah, yeah from yeah. Caddyshack. Bill Murray, yeah. that's a good one. And so... On your deathbed. You yeah, and I got a great response, and I'm reading through all the responses. Yeah. Some of them are really funny. You know, good people out there. But I do a wide variety of things, uh, from the makeup tutorials to this and that. Yeah, I've seen that. Cooking shows, and um, I'm starting to do... I've got a couple of aviation shows. So I'm going to put those out, but I don't know if that fits my audience, the people that are watching. I don't sure. know, but I just throw the stuff out there. Sure. Yeah. And I just uh, actually shot three shows this morning. Uh, uh, I think people need motivation right now. Yeah. And absolutely. so I'm doing uh, probably a five-part series on personal development and the things that I went through and the things I learned Excellent. through sports and through life and. Yeah all the things that raising families and all that sort of mm -hmm. stuff. So I'm doing like a five part series. I'm shooting it now. I don't know when it's going to get out, but I, honestly it's been fun because it gives me something yeah. to do yeah. mm -hmm. during all this mess. Sure. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. All this stuff that's going on. You said something earlier when we were talking that really stuck with me about after you had been successful in the Olympics that this, uh, Oh gosh, this character now, or this almost a, sounded like a, a facade in your voice and what you were oh, yeah. saying. I mean, how is it when dealing? Then now all of a sudden you're going, you become a broadcaster, you're on Wheaties boxes. I had a, a trading card with you. Oh, yes. You know, yeah. and all those things. You so, didn't save it? I could have signed it. I get them. Uh, my mom's probably got it somewhere. Yeah, she probably does have it. She, 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 was, she yeah. was flipping out. My mom normally doesn't curse. And I said, oh, we're going to talk with Caitlyn Jenner. My sister was at, in at tears. Her, <laughs> she, she's welcoming us to her home. Yeah. My mom doesn't curse anymore. Holy fucking shit. Really? Like, yeah. yeah. Oh, well, tell her. I said hi. That's it. Well, say hi to mom. Yes. Yeah. Let us see the house. See yeah. what you could do. I was like, I'm not going to go in and take pictures of her house. It's but, just yeah. no. But but with that facade, how did how did you manage that? Was it still that that voice of having come from a certain well, era in time where it's you don't talk about that. This isn't something you acknowledge. Yes. You bury it, put it, and that's how you handle problems. I've been around for a long time. 
and uh, identity issues have been around. It's part of humanity. It's yeah. been around forever. It's not and nothing new. It's the way you deal with it. Um, I remember uh, when Renee Richards, tennis player, mm -hmm. trans girl, mm -hmm. I came out and wanted to play on the women's tour. This is back in 1977, 78, after the games. I was like, whoa, talk about guts. Yeah. Uh, especially back then. It was, it was, it was tough. And, um, I mean, she did a good job. Um, but, I mean, they, people could be pretty, pretty brutal. Yeah. You know, I met her one time at an event. And I just wanted to go up and sit down and talk to her, you know, but I just couldn't. I couldn't, you know. And um, I just did my best to deal with it. I went through the roughest time in the 80s, um, where for six years I lived right over that hill over there in a small little leased place. Um, and basically stayed there for almost six years and kind of isolated myself from the world. The only time I came out is to like go to work. I really, I had four kids from two previous marriages. Yeah. Uh, I really wasn't a good dad. I didn't, I just, I just was struggling with myself. I'm thinking I'm going to transition before I'm 40. That's all there is to it. I'm going to do this. Mm -hmm. And, and uh, I got to 39 and living in this house by myself and, I just couldn't do it, you know, mm -hmm. I just, I, I can't, I just, this is 1989. Sure. I said, I just, I, I just can't do it. I got to get back into life. I'm just rotting out here, you know, and I wasn't really interested in working, although I worked some, and um, I, I kind of changed my attitude the best I could. You know, because through those six years, I'd cross-dress, drive around, do, I mean, sneak around. Fortunately, never got caught. Uh, but the rumor mill started because I was on hormones for four and a half years. I had my beard removed, three years of electrolysis. That's fun. Um, and um, so I had done some things and just couldn't go any further. Yeah. And fortunately... About six months after that, I kind of changed my attitude a little bit. Uh, was set up by a friend, Chris and I met. We hit it off from day one. Uh, and that was kind of the beginning of that run. Mm -hmm. 23 years we were together. Mm -hmm. We had a good marriage. 23 years together, we raised great kids. Yeah. Um, very proud of what she did and hopefully what I did too with all my kids. Um, and um, yeah, I... Um, I just tried to forget my old life as much as I possibly could, but it never really goes away. Yeah. It's always there. It's not like when you're gender dysphoric, um, it's not like, you know, there's any cure. Mm -hmm. Sure. Okay? Yeah, yeah, yeah. there's no cure. It's yeah. can't like, you can't go to the doctor and say, well, take two aspirin and get plenty of sleep and yeah. you're going to be just fine. No, you wake up in the morning and you still got the same problem. Yeah. yeah. Let me ask you a simple question, okay? Mm -hmm. Both of you. Sure. All right. You've never been asked this question before in your life, I'm sure. And you've probably okay. been asked every question there is out there, Hang right? On, let me get ready. Okay, right. <laughs> okay. Sit up in your seat. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Sit up tall. Are you ready? Yes. And I wanted to ask this question and just take a, a minute, a little bit of time to think about it. All right? Okay. To both of you. When did you know 
you were a boy. They're both staring out into the distance, I, I thinking. Think I remember feeling attraction towards girls really young mm -hmm. and knowing that they were different than I was. That was something that kind of gave me... But I've had, to be honest with you, I mean, I've had confusion because of the trauma I went through. Yeah. molestation from a man. So I've questioned my own sexuality at times. It wasn't necessarily that I, not trans, but, you know, okay, this, there was a man. Who am I? Yeah. Or what, what am I? Who am I? I mean, I have purple toenails. I'm a weird dude in that way. Yeah, I do some yeah. weird stuff that people would say is weird. To me, it feels yeah. normal, you know? Mickey, you were looking, staring out into the... Well, because I'm trying... Mikey. I'm trying to think... Mickey. <laughs> Mickey. I'm trying to think of like, well, ever since I was a young kid, I've always been attracted to, you know, first grade. I'll never forget. Her name was Debbie. Little Debbie. And uh, can we say her last name? We'll say her last name. Debbie uh, Albers. Don't, don't, she moved away. Whatever. You're out there. Hello, Debbie. Um, I... And I knew that she wasn't, because so I'm, I'm trying to figure out how to answer that. So I'm, I knew that she was a girl and I was a boy. So... No one told me that that's who you're supposed to like. That's how it is. That's what it's supposed to be. My parents, whatever I decided to do, still to this day, 100% supportive. With oh. it, with and in anything. I think now, we see, both answered, answered it through through our sexuality, though, not in, in yes. the sense of what we're attracted to. Well, you're right. I've never not gotten that. So you're both answering in, yes. So, yeah, there's, because gender identity, sure. being trans, has nothing to do with sexuality. Right. Sure, sure. So it I'm, has <coughs> everything to do with identity of who you are. Yeah. Right. That's why I asked that question. When did you know you were a boy? And you're both sitting up there looking up into the, my God, when did I? Well, you're right. You I never thinking, got asked that. <laughs> you were thinking, although you went off on the sexual thing, you yeah, perverts, yeah, yeah. you. Um, you went, you went Sorry, off on the sexual stuff. But at first, that's how a trans person thinks. Sure. Okay. Um, that simple question is in their head and they can't get rid of it, you know? Yeah. And it's your identity. It's who you are, and you yeah. can't quite figure that out. Yeah. Okay, it's that simple. Why? They. I've read books, and why, and this, and that. It's just. Are you left-handed, right-handed? Yeah. Right-handed. 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 How boring. I'm left-handed. <laughs> I know. Right. My that is boring. Yeah. What? My daughter's left-handed. Ooh. Brilliant that's artist. interesting. That's actually. We'll talk about that later. All right. Anyway. Um. Yeah, I, I'm left-handed. Well, when I was a kid growing up, you know, back in the 50s and early, especially the 50s, mm -hmm. um, you know, then all the teachers would say, a lot of them would say to people, fortunately, it never happened to me, uh, you know, you live in a right-handed world. You should kind of learn to write with your right hand. Oh, you know, the desks are made that way and all that. So, you know, you listen to, you know, the teacher. And, yeah. And so you put it in your right hand and you start to learn to write with your right hand. And then at some point in your life, you know, you go, wait a second. You know, I know that teacher said that, but and we live in a right-handed world. But you know what? I've always felt better with the pen in my left hand. Right. Okay? Then you start writing with the pen in your left hand. And all of a sudden, the penmanship is better. The words flow out of your, your mind better. Mm. It just kind of works better that way. And it's the same with people in my community um there's no big secret that's no nothing it's just this is who they are and things work better that way you know yeah. 
Um, now you get a lot of ridicule and this and that, and oh, I mean, the list goes on and on and on. Can you, you know, do it? But it's people have a tendency to overcomplicate it. It's a sexual thing. Well, you attracted to boys when you're. No, it has nothing to do with sexuality. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it has nothing to do with that. It's about who you are. Yeah. Who you are. You know. Um, yeah. It's uh, what's the old saying? It's not about who you go to bed with. It's about who do you go to bed as? Yeah. Mm. Yeah. 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 Was it was it tough when you first started? I mean, you were on one of the most popular TV shows in the last X amount of years, yeah. and it was you quite know, a run. The, the having um, you know the the interpersonal stuff with the family, and it's such a personal you know thing there, and and, and the support to have it all out there on TV and all that was that. No, nah, the was show it? was great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I, some of the best I did over. 400 and something episodes. This is um, for a long time, yeah. Yeah, it was over 13 years. Mm -hmm. um, I haven't done it for the last couple of years, although I just did a couple of episodes. Um, and uh, those were some of the best times we had. Yeah. My young kids, Kendall and Kylie, basically grew up on camera. Yeah. They yeah. were like, you know, 9 and 10, somewhere right around in there. And... Um, they grew up on camera. It was very good for them. Uh, they went on to do extraordinary things in their lives. Yes. You know, yeah. And a lot of it was think based they're doing pretty around. well. Yeah, they're, <laughs> they're doing all right. They're doing okay. <laughs> I said something to Bert Kreischer that cracked yeah. me up. I have ten kids, and not one of them asked me for money. For money. I think yes. I well. Yes. Yeah. Not one has ever asked me for money. And uh -huh. so, uh, yeah, uh, it was. We had some of the most fun. Yeah. It was a tough putting a lot of the issues out there. Yeah. It's kind of tough. When, you know, everybody kind of reading your, you know, your your dirty mail or whatever. Mm. Um, but uh, the producers were all on our side. Um, they, they want the show to be good. I mean, every show ended when everybody made up. Sure. Yeah. You yeah. know, it's that kind of show. Yeah, you have arguments and you have fights, but at the end, it's, always it's family. You good. love it. Yeah. This and that. We had some of the greatest vacations. Oh, I know. On the show, we went all over. I felt over. like I was with on them I with know. you guys. We went I mean, all I'm... over the place, had these great vacations, yeah. and did these wonderful things all together as a family. Sure. Um, I had some of the best conversations with my kids on camera. Huh. Because the camera was there, it kind of forced you to deal with some of the issues. Yeah. Uh, where if the camera's not there, and you know you're not shooting, you kind of, well, we'll talk about that tomorrow. Right. Mm. You know? You know, but the camera's coming over, and you know what? We got to deal with it. So, um, I had some of the best conversations with my kids, and they were so comfortable in front of the camera. You know, as time went on, and you know, I was, was going to say, like, all the cameramen were the same. The producers are the same. They were like family. I was going to say, so they're part of your family now. Yeah, too. they're part yeah. of the family. So, yeah. when you first started out, were you doing the show? Were you a little hesitant because Kendall and Kylie were so small? You didn't know if you want cameras around them, or was it just kind of? I think they were more hesitant. They were, yeah. Yeah, sure. mm -hmm. uh, they weren't really that into it when mm -hmm. they were really young. Um, but they kind of grew up on there and they right. got better and better and better and more comfortable, uh, with the show. But at first, um, I think Kendall probably had more issues with it just because, you know, she's in school, mm -hmm. you know, she's a young teenager yeah. growing up, everybody sees it, they know her, they, all that yeah. kind of stuff. And I might've been a little tougher on her, but she, she's a strong kid, you know, a strong kid. 
And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, eventually they just saw how good it is for them and mm-hmm. for their lives and what they're doing. Sure. Um, you know, Chris put uh, everything they made into a trust until they were 18. Mm-hmm. Huh. So uh, and when they turned 18, it was, you know, they had a nice little nest egg there. Yeah. Kendall wanted to be a model and she went out and did four it. years later, highest paid model and the most successful model in the world, yeah, you know? Did it. Yeah, she did it. And Kylie started her cosmetic company yeah. with that. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, they've done very well because of, of the show. Right? Yeah. I saw, I saw something on your Instagram the other day. I think you were using one of Kylie's products or something. Oh, yes, yes, about. yes. I, it, it, this family is loves a good promotion. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And uh, everybody helps everybody. Yes. That's awesome. Go ahead, yeah, Caitlin. Kylie's right. Cosmetics, what's it called? Because of the show, the whole yeah. family is very close. And it sure. brought all of us together yeah and that's great to hear because i think the perception that some people would have might be quite the opposite because we you know those that view and make judgment light that like to make judgment they go oh it's just for show well, all you have it's to do is for- read instagram or yeah. you know read comments and you go oh yeah. these idiots yeah yeah, yeah. We, we social should. media well they took social good, media yeah. to the next level sure absolutely i mean i remember ryan seacrest uh it was his production company that we teamed up with right at the beginning because uh, he had a deal with E. And I remember right at the beginning, uh, Ryan goes to the girls, he goes, you know, you have to get on Twitter. We all looked at him. What the hell? What the hell is Twitter? <laughs> it's still new to us, too. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm going. To you. Yeah, and I'm going, I have no idea what that is. Um, and they all go, uh, oh, okay, okay, we'll get on, you know. So they really started with social media right at the beginning. And they're all, every one of them, extraordinarily entrepreneurial. Yeah, you can um, see they, Kimberly is by far, I think, she's out there the most. I mean, she started her first company when she was 18. Right. You know, before the show even started. Was, she was uh, outfitting celebrities, right? Yeah, she was uh, helping with their closets. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. And she would go in and organize her closets and tell them they got to get rid of this, they got to get rid of that. And Oh, she did an amazing job. And, you know, some of these closets in Beverly Hills, because she knew all her friends, I mean, were just yeah. huge. Yeah, she worked out a really good deal. She says, I'll take all the clothes you're not going to have. She started a um, a uh, eBay account, okay, with all these clothes, and then so she didn't charge them to clean their, you know, to do their closet, and um, she split it. Uh, they got seventy percent. She got thirty percent of any of the sales. Yeah. Which I thought was pretty smart. Yeah. And oh, they yeah. was great for them because they would get rid of the clothes and they'd get, you know, 7%, whatever they could get for the clothes. And mm-hmm. Kimberly made her money by the other 30%. Yeah. <clears throat> Sounds like a pretty smart girl. Yeah. Kimberly's amazing. I mean, she's in law school right now. Um, I know that. I yeah. heard that. Yeah. Yeah. She said that on Letterman, right? Working, yeah, Letterman? Yeah, yeah. She's, um, yeah, she's working on her law degree. Yeah. Here in California, you can actually get your law degree and not technically go to college. Mm-hmm. She spends about 20 hours a week getting tutored by people, and but that qualifies her to get into take different steps into eventually taking the bar. And, I'll be there. Yeah, she's, she's amazing. Four kids. Yeah. Okay. Very successful businesses she runs, she oversees. And she's done very, very well, you know, yeah. and she's getting her law degree. I mean, amazing kids. Every one yeah. of my kids, amazing. 
Yeah. Yeah. Well, I know that, uh, you know, um, you yourself, that kind of entrepreneurial spirit and go-getter too. And yeah. I mean, I, I like a, that it, stuff. It I always, in, for all the, for all your kids, especially the ones that you raised with Chris, if she seems entrepreneurial and yeah, so. yeah. All the kids, I, I, everybody uh, works hard. Yeah. You know, I think from talk about inspiration from a parenting standpoint, mm-hmm. actually I was having this conversation with Kylie the other night. We were talking about, she's a mom talking about parenting. Sure. And, but anyway, my view on parenting is you have to talk to your kids, okay? Um, and a lot of times when you're talking to your kids about certain things, about the way to conduct their lives and mm-hmm. this and that, you know, you listen to them, or they're, you, they're listening to you and you think, it's going in one ear and out the other, <laughs> okay? It's going in one ear and out the other and you just keep trying and trying and you don't see any results. Until later, all of a sudden you watch them as a parent saying a lot of the same things you said, Uh okay? So they were listening. I remember first time my dad, great person, unfortunately he's gone, but uh, I remember the first time with my kids, I, I grew up rock and roll, 50s, 60s, rock and roll, Same. you know, it was yeah. happening. Elvis Presley, this and that. You know, my dad, World War II veteran, yeah. you know, we're listening to the radio. And you know how everybody argues over the radio and this and that, and you know. And, you know, my dad going, oh, turn that stuff off, you know. And I'm, I'm sitting in the back seat, you know, thinking, when I'm older, I'm going to be like the coolest parent ever, you know? Of course. I would never, ever say that to my kids, okay? Yeah. That's why God invented rap. <laughs> okay? So, I, and, and you have one of your children married yes, to one of the most famous this, rap artists ever. Yes, I know. Arguably I, know. I love famous. Kanye. Yeah. I love Kanye. But anyway, so then one day... Uh, I'm in the car. I was driving Courtney and Kimberly. They were in junior high, I think. Yeah, junior high. And I was driving them to school. And they had put this CD in. And it was just like horrible. Every other word was a cuss word and this and that. I'm going, oh, God, I can't take this, you know. And I'm saying, sorry, guys. You know, I need to go to talk radio or something. I don't know what it was. So... I give them to them in the back and, you know, we finish the last 10 minutes to go to school. They get out of the car and they leave. Driving down the road and I look and see there was that CD on the seat. They had left it in the car. I look at it and I say, should I? (laughs) (laughs) And I'm thinking, they'll never know. I grab it open up the passenger side window. I'm coming up Beverly Glen. I see a big open field. Wham! Big Frisbee, that sucker right out the window. Okay, it was gone. And of course, you know, a day or two later, they go, did you see that CD? I don't know what, hey, I have no idea where it went. Better take good care of your things. I don't know what to tell you. So I was doing the same thing my dad was doing. You know, I became like my father. But I think in closing up the story, when it, when you talk to your kids, but I think the most important thing you can do is for your kids is it's about your character and 
how you deal with life. If you have a drug problem, if you have this, your kids see that. Sure. Okay? They see that. And it's almost like, is that what I'm going to be when I get older? Um, if you're just not a nice person, especially like to other people, yeah. you know, you just like, a maid, let's say you have a maid at the house and you treat the maid like crap, mm -hmm. you know, like, hey, you know, get over here and do this, go do that. Your kids are sitting there watching it. Okay. Yep. That's what they're going to do. So the way you conduct your life is as important, if not more, you know. Do you exercise? Do you take care of yourself? Do you eat healthy? You know, you personally, you know, your kids see all of that kind of stuff. You know, do you get your exercise in? Do you have hobbies? Um, the list goes on and on and on. So I think it's a combination, but I think your character and the type of person you are and the way you deal with life is by far one of the most important things. Yeah. You know? One of the most important things when it comes to raising kids. Absolutely. Yeah, being a person in general. Uh, I know we're getting low on time here. Do you want to throw a couple rapid-fire questions, Caitlin's way real quick? Yeah. Let's do it. What's your, right. what's your good one? Uh, my favorite one is to ask if you could have any superhero power, what would it be? Any superpower. I was going to say to run really fast. Oh, wait. Oh, wait. Did that. <laughs> to win the Olympics. Yeah. Yeah. No. Um... Uh, being invisible. Mm. Yeah. I like that one. S yeah, sneak sneak around. Mine's teleportation. Just boom, oh, I'm there. Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. I New like that. New York. Yeah. I'm in New York now. Yeah. You know, Mine's like healing. That. What's that? Healing people. If I could heal some, like touch someone and heal ooh, them. Ooh, ooh, ooh. Yeah. See, now don't you oh, feel he's such a good I know. Guy. I know. I, he like, always makes me feel like such a dick when he says guy. that because yeah. I'm over here at transportation. I want to heal people. I'm like, all right, I'll just shut up then. Yeah. Um, if you can have dinner with anybody, dead or alive, who would you pick and why? Uh, dinner with my dad. Yeah. See, one of the sad things about transitioning and living my life authentically and all that kind of stuff is my dad missed all that. Mm -hmm. um, I think, I, and I often wonder, my mom, 94, no problem whatsoever. That's incredible. She's great. That's she awesome. likes me more now. I yeah. dig it. Yeah, she likes me more now. I, I call her every day. <laughs> I, you know, great. like I never did that before. I love Caitlin. She's so much better. You know? <laughs> um, but um, uh, I, I often wonder how my dad would have handled that. Sure. I mean, he was a World War II veteran, mm -hmm. you know, kind of a tough guy sure. and this and that. But he loved me to death and he loved you know, his son going to the games and winning and so proud of my accomplishments and on and on and on. Um, and at first I thought, well, I wonder how dad would react to this. And I think I can see him the first time <laughs> I told him what's going on. He would just kind of look, probably look at me and says, what the hell are you talking about? <laughs> you know, I can see that. You yeah. know, I can see that happening. But on the other hand, my dad was a very loving person. I think after the initial shock and learning about being trans um, and trying to see the, try the good I'm trying to do in bringing this issue forward so people can understand more because trans people are around they've been around forever yeah. they're not going away it's just part of humanity sure. okay and it's yeah, yeah. and um I, I think he'd be very proud mm -hmm. you know so that's what i hope yeah. you know but you'll never really know so i'd want to have dinner with my dad and talk to him have sure. that conversation yeah. with him. i, love I hear you i, hear I you. love it any pet peeves 
you have like one major pet peeve that just because I got a ton grinds your axe. <laughs> um, lazy people, mm. uh, people who are not motivated, don't want to do something with themselves, and just kind of yeah, yeah. it's like. Get off your butt and go do something. <laughs> you know, there's a million things you can do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Any more, Mike? I think let's we could wrap it up. All right. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for well, your that's time. It. It's, it's over. I think we've been wrapped up. We've been wrapped up. Wrapping you're, up. I could keep talking. To the Hilton or wherever I'm, you're going. I'm bummed. I, we didn't even get into motorsports. And oh, I well, wanted that's to true. talk about Willie T. Riggs. Yeah, I saw that. Yeah, and, that's you know? uh, my most famous car. Yeah. Yeah, we won't see bringing. Right. I had the lead at Daytona for 23 and a oh. half hours. That was in 86. Yeah. And, uh, oh, God, me and Pruitt. Yeah. Yeah, Pruitt. Do you know that story? No. Oh, quickly. Um, uh, I was, this was 1983. I'm doing commentary on IndyCars at Phoenix okay. at the Oval. And they had a demonstration of, these lay down super carts. Oh gosh. Okay. And there's Pruitt there. And I'd heard about it because I had carts. Yeah. And but I just raced locally. And this guy, Scott Pruitt, was there. And I said, Yeah, I've heard about this kid. I'm gonna go over there, you know. So I go over and meet his mom, his dad, and this and that, and I ask him, you know, what do you what do you want to do with all that? He had like thirteen national titles, world titles, you know, he was like king of karting. And I know racing, if you can drive a cart, you can drive anything. Yeah. Okay, those things are tough. Yeah. I mean, yeah, and to be that good. So um, he says, well, you know, I'd like to win Indy someday. And I said, oh, cool, okay. Um, I said, I'm starting a relationship with Ford Motor Company. Uh, I gave this ad, uh, this guy named Michael Cranifus, who was the head of Special Vehicle Operations, SVO division, oh, okay. ran racing at Ford Motor Company. I said, I'm just working and talking to them Maybe I could have you drive with me, you know. Well, it took almost two years, and he had done a little bit of small GTU racing and stuff. And it took two years until 1985 at Elkhart Lake. Finally, Ford says, okay, let's bring him on. Now, he had never driven a car this big and heavy, and, you know, it's GTO cars, a quick car. Anyway, he went out. Within 10 laps, had it on the pole. And then the next session, it was pouring down rain, and he went out and was five seconds faster than the whole field. And so I said to Ford, see, I'm telling you for a year, that's the kid I want, you know? And so we worked out a deal that um, in 86 would be our first year that we would run together. That in the long races we ran together, you know, Sebring, 24 hours, all these types of stuff. And the shorter races, we both had our own independent car. And we just cleaned up, and that was that 7-Eleven Mustang over there. Yeah. Um, we just cleaned up. Wow, yeah. We won everything. We won the endurance championship for all of them, so we beat out the GTP cars. Um, yeah, we had seven wins that year. Should have won 24 hours at Daytona. We had the lead and had a spur gear. Had to come yeah. in, change the tire or change the engine jack roush actually got under the car <laughs> to change the transmission and uh went back out and lost by we had such a lead but we lost by a lap to toyota that's crazy. Mm. <laughs> but then on sebring we won on the last lap yeah. after 12 hours 
Yeah, it was pretty it. cool. Yeah, Bro, it was in the car, not me. Just enjoyed Sebring. It was nice to see to see that they were able to do it this year. They yeah, just had it, but uh, no, because yeah. I was a big Ford guy. So yeah, and prior to my kids, I owned a Mustang, but it was a Saline, and oh so yeah, that, would, yeah. That, that really the the IMSA and all that stuff was really got me into Ford yeah. and Mustangs. And I drove I drove the old nine thirty five Porsches. Did a lot of you know little prototype stuff. Yeah, the old nine thirty five Porsches. There were a lot of those years. I mean, those were sick cars. Yeah, they. You know, it's funny. You move up and you drive these faster cars and this and that. And you get in them the first time and you go, man, this thing goes. <laughs> and and then you get in the race and you're, you, you only, the, the speed is only a quarter mile an hour difference between you and the car be front of you or the one behind you. And you don't even realize the speed, you right. know, just breaking points and right. all that kind of stuff. And the speed kind of goes away. And it kind of becomes a byproduct of it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's, it's, it's accepted. It's, You're gonna go. I don't fast. think people realize how difficult the sport is. No, not no, a clue. they have no idea how this they guy, think. You just, you know, put your foot down. Who's the, who's got the most guts to break the last? At the end, it has nothing to do with the, any of that stuff. Yeah. This guy gives me shit because I watch NASCAR, I IndyCar, Formula oh, yeah. One. IMSA. It's not that I don't respect the people doing it. It's just I personally can't. I just can't. You don't watch football. What are you talking oh, about? Who you cares don't watch about football? football. <laughs> right, this Jeez. season I don't. I mean, this season me? I don't. I'm a Niner fan, so I screw football this year. <laughs> yeah, I know. Gosh. Actually, I'm kind of over. I, I have never been a big football, basketball, and baseball. No. Yeah, never, never, ever got into it. No. I, I watch. The only thing I watch is I watch golf. Okay. Yeah. Um, I'll watch golf and auto racing. Yeah. When you had a son-in-law that played for the Lakers, did you have to kind of? I, know, I had no choice. I, I was going to say you kind of had to. What? Well, you had to go to games. Yeah, it I had must to go have to been games. awful. We had to go like the finals. <laughs> that must, when that they sounds won. horrible. <laughs> yeah. Sit in the front row, watching Kobe Bryant work his yeah, magic. Yeah, work his magic along <sighs> with Lamar. This talk's done. I like. We're Lamar. done. <laughs> I really, I really like Ramar. Oh, we talked to him. He was, he was great. Was awesome. He was great. To be able to speak with him and to see oh, him did doing you? well. Really? Yeah, he was. Uh, a tenth I wish episode? him nothing but the best. Yeah. We used to have some of the greatest conversations. Oh, I bet he was very interested in politics, but he really didn't know that much about sure. it. Mm -hmm. And um, I follow politics fairly closely, and so uh, we used to have just great conversations, yeah. you know, and talk about this and talk about that. Yeah, I really liked him. I'm I'm glad he's doing well. Yeah, yeah. Because uh, he's obviously dealing with a lot of demons of his own. Yeah. Don't yeah. we all have those? Yes. Yes, yeah. we do. The good news is, I'm doing so good now. I just wake up every morning and be myself. I love it. That's yeah. that's awesome. Yeah. That's incredible. It really is. Okay, yeah. If there's anything you could leave as we wrap it up for those listening, that maybe they are uh, transgender themselves or someone that they love, that we can bring just better understanding okay. and acceptance. First of all. If you have a young person, that depends on how it's, I've had people come up to me who are, you know, their kids are four, five, six years old, and I think maybe I said, first of all, don't panic, okay? <laughs> <laughs> don't panic, okay? There's a lot, a lot of growing up to do here, okay? Don't panic right now and don't change anything. The most important thing from a parent, for a young person growing up who maybe I, struggling with their identity or maybe they're not you know they may grow out of it who knows sure. mm -hmm. um is provide a loving home number one provide a loving home love that kid just love them to death know that they have when they come home they are living in a safe environment you know 
Um, even if they go out and sometimes, you know, kids can bully them or they, you know, it's, it's tough out there. Okay. They got to know when they come home, it's a loving home and a peaceful place to be. Mm -hmm. Um, that's by far number one and give these kids an opportunity to, you know, explore, find themselves, get them to understand themselves. doesn't mean they're all going to transition or this or that, that may or may not happen. Um, but it's not the end of the world. Right. You know, um, uh, I have seen so many trans people who just struggled. I mean, just major struggling. And then finally, you know, because they're afraid what's going to happen, transition and then just blossom as a person. Mm -hmm. You know, um, start businesses. Um it's like all that's behind you, and now you kind of can get on yeah. with life. Yeah. You know? And um, it's... There's, especially social media, kids, like if they're in school, other kids can be cruel yeah. and be tough. And social media can be really tough, you know? I mean, I've, if you read my comments on Instagram, I don't read them very often. Once at times I do. You know, there's still all these jerks that are out yeah. there and just like, you know call you Bruce and you know what about your voice and this and that, and that. they're miserable people they're yeah. not happy I you know what I wake up in the morning and I'm happy you know I got no it takes me longer to get ready <laughs> okay uh, takes me longer but to you're get happy ready, but doing it I'm just fine yeah. yeah I'm just fine and I all those issues I, I just don't even have them anymore yeah you know I, I just it. can get on with life and my kids have been very accepting and my family and I got great friends and yeah, life's good. Life is good. Yeah, awesome. life's yeah. good. Love yeah, Miss Caitlin Jenner, thank you for welcoming us into your home. Oh, it was a pleasure. Nice having you. Thank I'm glad you. you guys got your lives straightened out too. Yes, we did. Yes, getting there, getting there. Well, getting there. that's true. Yeah, it's always work in progress. That yeah, still cracks me up. I read your guys' bios. You guys are way more. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You're probably right. Yes, I, I know. Like, oh, shit. How did no. you guys get this job? No. Yeah. yeah. Oh, my God. Oh, I love it. Crazy. Yeah. This guy's been divorced and... Yeah. And you, you had a cocaine problem. I saw that. Don't think yeah, I... Mean, you're drinking yourself to death over here? Yeah, Jesus Christ, I know. Me, I'm fine. <laughs> Give me a great outfit. I'm ready to go. Oh, yeah. You're beautiful. All I love right. it. Thank you. It was a pleasure, guys. Knocking doors down. Real people, real stories, real life. Real discussions of life struggles including addiction, relationships, finances, and more. But even more importantly, living with them, overcoming them, and conquering them. Celebrities, experts, and everyday people talk about how they were able to break through whatever life handed them by knocking doors down. New podcast episodes are available every Thursday. Subscribe now on the Apple Podcast app, Google Play, Spotify, iHeartRadio app, or at kddmediacompany.com. Well, Mikey, I just got to say it was such a wonderful experience going to uh, Caitlyn Jenner's house. Of course, also uh, uh, meeting uh, Sophia there. She's really sweet as well. And we had just a, she's just a wonderful lady, incredibly inspirational. I can't stop laughing how she's like, I don't know why you guys want to interview me. You guys are more fucked up than I am. I read your biography. <laughs> I'm just like, well, well. 
What are you going to do? Caitlin people people don't want to hear from us. People want to hear from you, not me. It was a blast. Uh, you know, there's a lot of things that didn't make the uh, the podcast. We weren't filming at the time or recording audio. Not only did we have a cool conversation over some of Caitlin's cars in the garage, because I'm a big Porsche guy. She showed us her uh, GT2 RS. Phenomenal. But uh, Mikey mentioned how big of a fan uh, his sister is. Yeah. And, and Caitlin goes... FaceTimer. Yeah. I was like, no shit, huh? So we did it. We FaceTimed my sister. And uh, it sucks, though, because she lives so damn high up in Malibu that the service is kind of patchy. So when, when we FaceTimed my sister, it was patchy. So Ashley was kind of had a straight face. And then Caitlin was like, hey, how are you? And Ashley, it looked like she had a straight face, but it was just frozen. Yeah. <laughs> finally, you saw her jaw hit the ground when she realized who it was. But it was just cool of her to do that. Like, yeah. oh, really? FaceTimer. Hit her up. And I know that made her month. That's for sure. Yeah. So it just goes shows to, to the character of the lady. She was uh, really extraordinary. Again, we thank you all for listening to Knocking Doors Down. We're available on Apple Podcast app, Google Podcast, Spotify, also on Amazon Music, and you can also find us at kddmediacompany.com slash podcast. And we can't uh, do this without the support of 5150, 5150 LTM. Click that link in the podcast description. Why? Because it's all the gear that Mikey and I wear whenever you see us on camera, be it in Instagram, Facebook. We, of course, now are on Twitter as well by searching Knocking Doors Down or at KDD Media Company. Again, the podcast, we keep all links in the description. So you can get it there. Connect with us, spread the word, and tell a friend. Anything else, Mikey? That will do it, Mr. LaChance. On that note, keep knocking doors down. The Knockin' Doors Down book shares all the history and inspiration behind the Carlos Vieira Foundation and how it all started. All proceeds from the book benefit the Carlos Vieira Foundation's Race to Be Drug-Free campaign. So what's that all about? Through the Race to Be Drug-Free campaign, Carlos Vieira Foundation raises awareness about drug abuse, donates to drug-free programs, and brings drug-free speakers into schools to educate youth. The Race to Be Drug-Free campaign's main program is the Gloves Not Drugs boxing program. This program is completely free for kids between the ages of 8 and 17 to learn discipline, strength, respect, camaraderie, and the art of boxing and Brazilian jiu-jitsu. The program was created to keep kids off the streets, out of gangs, and away from drugs. For more info and to get involved, check out carlosvierafoundation.org. This podcast contains the views and opinions of the knocking doors down hosts and their guests to the show. The content here should not be taken as medical advice. The content here is for informational purposes only. And because each person is sharing their unique perspective, please consult your healthcare professional for any medical questions. Views and opinions expressed in the podcast and website are our own and do not represent that of our places of work. While we make every effort to ensure that the information we are sharing is accurate, we welcome any comments, suggestions, or correction of errors. Privacy is of the utmost importance to us. For those wishing anonymity, people, places, and scenarios mentioned in the podcast have been changed to protect confidentiality at the request of certain guests. This website or podcast should not be used in any legal capacity whatsoever, including but not limited to establishing standard of care in a legal sense or as a basis for expert witness testimony. No guarantee is given regarding the accuracy of any statements or opinions made on the podcast or website. In no way does 
listening, reading, emailing, or interacting on social media with their content establish a doctor-patient relationship. If you find any errors in any of the content of this podcast or blogs, please send a message through the contact page. This podcast is owned by KDD Media Company.